Thank you for joining us for another lesson from God's Word. The West Huntsville Church of Christ at Providence is located at 1519 Old Monrovia Road, Northwest, Huntsville, Alabama, 35806. Anytime you're in the Huntsville area, we hope you'll stop in and be part of our worship. Sunday morning worship is at 9 o'clock, with Bible class immediately following. Sunday evening worship is at 5. Midweek Bible study is held Wednesdays at 7. He was appointed heir of all things. And incidentally, what does that do for us? Romans eight sixteen, we are heirs. If we're children, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. If so, we would suffer with him. Joint heirs of Christ. He is heir of all things. And we're joint heirs. The brightness of the Father's glory, the express image of his person. Express image. He is like a uh, he is like a stamp from his father. He is like a typewriter that takes an image and puts an image on paper. He is the express image. He is not similar to his father. He is like his father. He is as his father is. It's not just some vague similarity as we might be similar. He upholds all things by the power of his word. Have you seen Atlas? With the world on his shoulders, strong man, wasn't he? That's not a picture of Jesus. The things he upholds are not just the physical things, not just earth, not just the universe. It is also all the spiritual things. He purged our sins. means he ran our sins from us. He sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. By inheritance, he has a better name. It's not that God looked out and said, I'm going to appoint you to be better than anybody else for a better name. It is by inheritance. He is a son of the Son of God in a very special sense. Identified by the Father's his son, was called God by the Father. Your throne, O God, is forever and ever. God the Father to Jesus, who is God. Laid the foundation of the earth in the beginning. He will remain, his years will not fail. Superior to all others, that is what all this says. It has to be this way. Add something to him, we diminish him. We try to add. We try to take things, make Christianity better. It doesn't work. Diminishes Christianity. The uh, early Christians, a little later than early, I guess, started to add paganism to their religion, thinking it would attract the pagans, and it did. But what did it attract them to? Not Christ. It attracted them to a religion that God did not like. I want to look at uh, Hebrews 2. We've already covered that, but I want to say it again because this is so important. Therefore, we must give a more earnest heed to the things which you've heard, lest we drift away. For if the angels, if the word spoken through the angels proves steadfast, that's talking about in Moses' law, and every transgression disobedience received a just reward, that is in Moses' law. How shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? That's us, that's you and me in the Christian age, which at the first began to be spoken by the Lord, was confirmed to those who heard him. God bearing witness, both with signs and wonders and various miracles of and gifts of the Holy Spirit according to his own will. That is what we have now. Look at the Old Testament. See how it was carried out. See how it was given. See how God enforced it. And then say, 
And then ask yourself, how, can, how shall we escape if in this Christian age we neglect so great salvation? Our salvation is much greater than that was in the Old Testament. Look at First Peter 1, 2. To them, that is the Old Testament prophets, it was revealed not to themselves, the Mosaic age, but to us in the Christian age. They were ministering the things which now have been reported to you, you Christians, through those who preach the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit, sent from heaven, things which angels desire to look into. He is simply saying the angels would like to understand what has happened. They understood the Old Testament. They thought they did, but did not see what it prefigured. The angels desire to look into that, Peter said. Well, enough for the introduction. We've introduced this book about three times, so that's enough of that. But I want to start in Hebrews 2.11. You notice the FF there, it means and following. The reason I put that is because I don't know how far I get. I want to get through chapter 4. I'll try hard. For both who, he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified are all one. To sanctify means to set apart. So the one who sets apart and those who are set apart. That is, Jesus Christ sets apart and those who are set apart, that's you and me. And I know that some of you thought you had to be dead to be a saint. We're not. We're not dead. We have a program here, Bill Eves, called Saints Alive. That's a contradiction in most of the world, but not a contradiction here because saints alive. And you don't have to be as old as Bill Eves to be a saint either. We have some saints over here. They're gone now, but they're, they're saints too. That wonderful. <clears throat> Excuse me, Bill, I didn't mean to pick on you. You did rob the cradle, though. Uh, He is not ashamed to call them brethren. Jesus Christ calls them, who is them, brethren, Christians. Your name there, he is not ashamed to call them brethren. Saying, I will declare your name, God's the Father's name, to my, Jesus says that, my brethren, in the midst of the assembly, I will praise, uh, I will sing praise to you. And again, I will put my trust, Jesus is speaking in them. And again, here am I, the children whom God has given me to Jesus. Inasmuch then as children have partaken of flesh and blood, he likewise shared in the same. How did we partake of flesh and blood? By being born to our parents into this world. That's a partaking of flesh and blood. He himself did the same thing that he might destroy him who had the power of death, that is the devil. He came as a man to destroy the devil and his power. Release those who through the fear of death were all in their lifetime subject to bondage. We all fear death. If you don't fear death, there's something wrong with you. However, the Christian does not fear death as the person who does not have hope of eternal life. And of course, those who have hope of eternal life or think they do, uh, sometimes don't. But we have hope of eternal life through Jesus Christ. For indeed, he does not give aid to angels. He did not come to give aid to angels. I asked my preacher students several weeks ago as I taught this course, why does he give aid to angels? And they said, they don't need it. What I'm saying, they don't need it. They're angels already. They're perfect. They're, uh, they're, they're, they're not going anywhere. Well, he hadn't read the scripture, of course. Uh, the angels have a problem. We'll see that later. But he does give aid to the seed of Abraham. That's us. 
Therefore, in all things, he had to make all his brethren, that he had to be made like all his brethren, that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God, to make propitiation for the sins of the people. That propitiation is a big word. It does not have a T sound in it. It's hard to pronounce. We have it pronounced in so many ways. I have a rule in the classes I teach, not you, but I'm talking about the ministerial students. You have to learn to pronounce that. I teach classes in the Far East, and they, they might talk about Paul and Silas. I'll let them do that. That's the way they pronounce it. I said, but if, but if you don't pronounce propitiation right, we've got a problem. So every once in a while, they'll come to class, and I'll say, George, what's that word right there? He says, propitiation. I said, you're welcome to class. You've got to say it right. The reason I'm fanatic on that is because I had a hard time pronouncing it. And when I was a young preacher, I fell all over it so many times. I said, I'm going to learn to pronounce this word. And I did. Therefore, I think you should be able to pronounce it. For he himself had suffered being tempted. He is able to aid those who are tempted. That's you and me. Look at 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 4. God did not spare the angels who sinned. Uh-huh. Angels were not perfect. But cast them down to hell. That word is Tartarus in the Greek. Deliver them into chains of darkness to be reserved for judgment. It sounds like they need help. But they're not going to get it from Jesus. He did not come to be an angel. He did not come to die for angels. And they are in, those that sinned are in Tartarus. Word is used one time in the Bible, right here in 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 4. It means the lowest part of the Hadean world. Was that where the rich man was? I'm not sure. He was in the low part. I don't know if he was in the lowest part. I tend to believe, I can't prove this, that Tartarus is the lowest part, therefore probably lower than the rich man. Luke chapter 16. Okay, Hebrews chapter 3. Now we're getting ready to uh, talk about something that is uh, very important. All of it is, of course. Therefore, holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling, consider the apostle and high priest of our confession, Christ Jesus, who was faithful to him, who appointed him, as Moses was faithful in all his house. Notice that Jesus has two titles here. He's an apostle and high priest. What in the world does that mean? Well, let's get our relationship to God first. Here we are. Here's God the Father. How do we get to God the Father? And how do we learn from God the Father? Well, we go through a priest. You might say, we're all priests. We are. We need a high priest. Here's the high priest, Jesus Christ. So we have the Father. We have us. And we have the high priest. He takes our pleas to the Father. But then, not only that, he is the apostle. He brings news from God to us. He's a spokesman. In those last days when the church kingdom started, he was our spokesman. The word apostle means, is from two Greek words, apostello. Stello means to send, and uh, apo means out from, to send out from. We would call them missionaries. In fact, the word missionary and apostle are the same words. And uh, we just don't say apostle today because it's confusing. Uh, You might say, well, there were just 12 apostles. Beg your pardon. Barnabas was an apostle. But he was an apostle in a different sense than Peter was or or Paul or those men. Uh, 
The apostle is one who is sent out from God to teach the word. So here we are, us, God, the high priest, the apostle. Jesus has a great work to do. For this one was, has been counted worthy of more than Moses. Wonder why he said that. Wonder why this writer said this one that I'm talking about is worthy, counted worthy more than Moses, because Moses was a great lawgiver. I've got news for you folks. Nobody can be greater than Moses. Hmm, that's what they thought. And yet he sets out to prove it. Moses is not greater than Christ. In fact, he is not even a part of Christ. He was a he was a one who gave the law that brought the Jews to Christ. And then they, 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 the law turned them loose on Christ. And he gives this in a different way. For this one, this one has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses, inasmuch as he who built the house has more honor than the house. I say that for every house is built by someone, but he who built all things is God. Underscore that idea is God. And Moses indeed was faithful in all his house as a servant. Was Moses in the house of God? Yes. God built a house and sent Moses there and delivered the law through Moses. And Moses gave it to the priests, to the people. He was faithful in his house as a servant for a testimony of those things which would be spoken afterward. But Christ as a son over his own house. It was not Moses' house. It was God's house. But now it is Jesus' house. The house of the Son of God. Whose house we are if we hold fast the confidence and rejoicing of the hope firm to the end. What if we don't? Then we're not part of that house. We cease to be part of that house. Many years ago, there arose a doctrine from Calvinism called the Tulip Doctrine, T-U-L-I-P. It is believed by, no, shouldn't put it that way. It is preached by many, many who are fundamentalist Christians, so-called most of them don't believe it. They believe in part of it. But the true Calvinist, and there's one that preaches every Sunday morning in our area. I used to listen to him in 1963 when I started preaching and driving 40 miles. He had already been preaching seven years. Excuse me, 10 years. He started preaching in 53. I started preaching in 63. The man is still preaching. He is more Calvin than Calvinist than Calvinist than Calvin was. I'm not going to tell you who it is. If you want to know, I'll tell you later, but I'm not going to advertise for him. What does tulip mean? Total depravity. We were all born in sin because Adam sinned. The you, unconditional election. If you're chosen for salvation, God unconditionally elected you. You didn't have anything to do with it. You couldn't have anything to do with it. If he didn't choose you, that was unconditional. You were not a part of God's way. L, limited atonement. His atonement is limited for just a few 
whoever he wants to give it. It's not whosoever will let him come. Yes, it is too, whosoever will. But you can't will unless he elected you. Wow, that's kind of catchy, isn't it? All right, irresistible grace. God, I don't want to be part of you. Forget about me. Leave me alone. I want to do what I want to do. You can't help it. You are my child and you're going to heaven whether you want to. I don't want to. Tough stuff. You're going there anyway. And then here's another person saying, God, please, 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 please let me be your child. Nope. You're not on the list. Forget about it. Now, here's the part that most Calvinists really like. The P part. Perseverance of the saints. That means when I get saved, I can't fall. That's wonderful. I can act like the devil I want to, but I can't fall. I will go to heaven. I heard one preacher from his own lips in a pulpit in Montgomery, Alabama say, if a man dies committing adultery, God kills him for his adultery and takes him to heaven. Thank you for that bit of information. It's not found in the Bible. This is a terrible doctrine. Whose house we are if we hold fast the confidence and the rejoicing of the hope firm to the end. Therefore, verse 7, as the Holy Spirit says today, if you will hear his voice, do not harden your heart as in the rebellion. Special time there in the days of trial in the wilderness when your fathers tested me, tried me, and saw my works many years. I want to go back to Numbers three, just Numbers 13 just a minute and read that. This is probably the basis of the rebellion. This is the big rebellion. And then, of course, they continued to rebel, but in a lesser way. The Lord said to Moses, Send men to spy out the land of Canaan, which I am giving to the children of Israel. From each tribe of their fathers you shall send a man, every one a leader among them. Therefore I was angry with that generation and said, They always go astray in their heart. They have not known my ways, so I swore in my wrath, They shall not enter my rest. What happened? Maybe we'll find out just a little later. Beware, brethren, lest there be in in any of you, any of you Christians, an evil heart of unbelief and departing from the living God. Didn't say lest there be in in you a heart of of lust, unless there be in you a heart of uh, stealing, unless there be in heart of you a lying. Those things are bad and will condemn a person, but that's not what he's talking about. He is talking about a rejection of Jesus Christ. Lest there be in any of you evil heart of unbelief, but exhort one another daily while it's called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. Unbelief. The deceitfulness of unbelief. I accused a preacher one time of deceiving his audience. He got into the pulpit and said, am I deceiving you? No, 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 no. Well, I had a preacher in this town to tell me I was deceiving. No. I said, you dummy. If you're deceiving somebody, they don't know it. Wouldn't be deceived if they knew it. For we have become partakers of Christ if we hold the beginning of our the beginning of our confidence. This is how we started. 
hold it at the beginning of our conference steadfast to the end. Ah, I'll get into Christ. I'll get saved. Uh, he will save me. I can't be lost. Tulip, perseverance of the saints. Not the book of Hebrews. The book of Hebrews is a deadly force against that doctrine. Listen to a radio program one time. A lady calls in and says, you know, Reverend Jones, you have uh, explained Hebrews 6 about falling away and not being able to uh, repent and so forth. I don't understand that. It's hard to explain. He said, that's the most difficult passage, but I'll do it again. And he messed it up again. I sat there and listened to him. We'll get to that later. Today, if you will hear his voice, do not harden your heart as in the rebellion. I think I read that a while ago. For who, having heard, rebelled? Indeed, was it not all who came out of Egypt led by Moses? You know, when we see those people leaving Egypt and we say, man, what kind of people are they? They are great Christian people, as we'd say today. They, will they ever leave God? No. I mean, they saw the Egyptians die. They had blood on their doorposts, on the lintel and header of the door. They will never get away from that. But at the Red Sea, they said, what are we going to do, Moses? Here are the Egyptians. Here's the wilderness. Here's 10 miles of water. We should have stayed in Egypt. Be still and see the salvation of the Lord. And then they get through. They complain about food and water, lack of food, lack of water. And gripe and complain. We had plenty in Egypt. Let's go back. Let's go back. That's not the people I thought I saw leave Egypt. But it is. Numbers 14. The uh, children of Israel had listened to ten spies. All the children of Israel complained against Moses and Aaron. And the whole congregation said to them, If only we had died in the land of Egypt. Or if only we had died in this wilderness. And then they're going to say, let us elect a leader and return to Egypt. Why? Because there are giants in the land and we are as grasshoppers in their sight. Get a dictionary and look for grasshopperitis. And you won't find it unless you look at the Andrews Dictionary. It's in that one. You understand it though, don't you? They had grasshopperitis. We have grasshopperitis sometime in the church. We look around and see various groups uh, surpassing us numerically, surpassing us as far as prominence in a community, prominence in the nation and so forth. We just aren't doing things right. You know, they started with 10 and now they have 10,000. What is wrong? Well, it's not God that's wrong. And if we think it is, we have grasshopperitis. Wow. Now with whom was he angry 40 years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose corpses fell in the wilderness? Ouch. Moses, Aaron, some of the Levites, Joshua and Caleb, they survived. Moses incidentally did fall before he got into the land of Canaan. But for a different reason, of course, than they did. 
And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest? But to those who did not obey. The rest they were looking for was in Canaan. They were not supposed to enter Canaan and fight. They were not to have a battle at all. God was going to take the wild beasts, the hornets, and so forth, and drive the people out before them. It would be inhabited slowly. They would not have to take the sword or the spear or anything if they did what God told them to do. They didn't. That's the second generation. That's the generation God let in. I don't think they were any better than the first. But the first generation could not enter because of unbelief. Shocking. Hebrews 4. Therefore, since a promise remains of entering his rest, let us fear lest, by, lest any of you seem to uh, have come short of it. Now, this gets kind of complex. And I don't have it all sorted out. I don't say that I do. But the Israelites were looking for rest in Canaan. We're not looking for rest in Canaan. We're finding rest in the church, and eventually we'll find rest in heaven. These Israelites were looking for rest in Canaan, and eventually would have found God's rest in eternity. That didn't happen, but it's kind of hard to sort this out. For indeed, the gospel was preached to them, as, to us as well as to them. But the word which they heard did not profit them, not being mixed with faith in those who heard it. Difficult to understand. The gospel was preached to them and us. You mean they learned the death, burial, resurrection of Christ? No. Look at this. Their gospel was, God says, I promised this land to Abraham, so I'm now giving Israel this land, his descendants. That was good news. Was the gospel that they didn't believe that. So they turned away from it. And they said, we can't take it. Giants in the land. We're grasshoppers in their sight. Well, here's what he said to Abraham, incidentally. Genesis 13, and the Lord said to Abraham, after Lot had separated from him, lift your eyes now and look from the place where you are, northward, southward, eastward, westward, for all the land which you see I give to you and your descendants forever. Hmm. That's the promise. God is not going to keep that promise. God didn't know that that land would become inhabited with giants. When he made that promise, it was not a threat at all. Now he didn't know that, so we can't possibly, we can't possibly go into that land because they will kill us. They live in walled cities. We're not big enough to take it, right? But it's already been given to you. Go in and possess it. No, no, we can't do that. They'll kill us. So sad because they would not have killed us. Our gospel, 1 Corinthians 15, he died for our sins, was buried, rose again the third day, according to the scriptures. So go back there and read verse 2. For indeed the gospel was preached to them as well as to us, but the word which they heard did not profit them because uh, ESV says it was not united by faith with those who listened. They didn't believe it. Could not profit them. God's going to force it on us. No, not that. Not going, not, not, not going to force that on him. He's going to give it to his people, but not them. <clears throat> Verse 3. For we who have believed do enter that rest. 
rest from our sins, and rest eternally. As he has said, so I swore in my wrath, they, the unbelievers, shall not enter my rest, although the works were finished from the foundation of the world. God said, I provided for this way back before the foundation of the world. I provided for the eternity of those who love me. They're not going to get there. They wouldn't even take Canaan. They wouldn't possess it. They wouldn't occupy it. They're not going to get into my real rest. Hmm. Sad. For he who had spoken in a certain place of the seventh day, put it this way, God rested on the seventh day from all his works. And again in this place, they shall not enter my rest. Again. Contrast with God. He rested And then the people he is to bless are not going to be blessed because of their unbelief. Since therefore remains that some must enter it, and those to whom it was first preached did not enter it because of disobedience, again he designates a certain day saying in David, Today, after such a long time as has been said, today if you will hear his voice, do not harden your hearts, For if Joshua had given them rest, then he would not have afterward have spoken of another day. There remains, therefore, a rest for the people of God, and that's an eternal rest, of course. For he who has entered his rest has himself also ceased from his works as God did from his. I know that anyone who's preached a funeral probably has said at one time or the other, Blessed are the dead who die in the Lord. For they shall rest from their labors, their works do follow after them. Now this becomes interesting here. Let us therefore be diligent to enter that rest, lest anyone fall according to the same example of disobedience. For the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit of joints and marrow, and as a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. When you look at that word tomos, that word, uh, I try to leave Greek words out of here, but this is so fitting to put this. It is sharper, it is tomos, than in a two-edged sword. Uh, You know what a tome is, T-O-M-E? It's usually a big book. It literally means if you have a, a volume of books, you have several tomes, several parts of a huge book. We could even call a the uh, book of uh, Genesis, a tome, because we have the big book, the 39 books of the Old Testament, the 66 of the Old Bible, and we could cut Genesis out, and it would be a tome. We cut it out, that would be a tomos, is the idea here. Very significant word. Here's Here's how we apply it here. God is able... To look into the heart of man. You know, Brother Glenn walked all over this this morning. I said, you know, why is that guy doing that? I'm going to talk about it. God's word is able to get down here and dissect not only who we are, but what we are and why we are. A surgeon's knife is able to go in and look at the muscle, look at the nerve tissue, Look at the protective tissue and look at the 
There are four general types of tissue. And distinguish between them. If I were looking on and he took his scalpel and pointed to me and said, there's a nerve right there. Thank you for telling me. I didn't know that. But the idea is that God can go into us with his knife and he can separate everything he needs to know. I can see your life and see what you're doing, at least part of it. But I can't really see why you're doing it. I can't see the spirit in which you're doing it. I know what it looks like on your face. I don't know what your real intent is. Sometimes we uh, tell a congregation you've worshipped well today. Maybe and maybe not. Well, the singing was good. That doesn't mean the worship was. The prayers were good. That doesn't mean the worship was. See, we don't know. We assume that in our beautiful congregation here, beautiful singing, beautiful sermon, beautiful prayers, beautiful Lord's Supper, that everybody worshiped. I hope that's true. But God is able to dissect the minds of all of us. And say, no, this guy over here that's singing so beautifully, he's in Europe right now. I mean, man, this this guy's at the beach. He's singing about the cross of Christ, but he's at the beach. Well, God, how do you know that? Because my word is sharp. I went in and found out exactly what I want to know. God knows us. He knows us perfectly well. And that's what this tomos means here. He's able to cut it out and isolate it and say, James, here's what I think about you not what you're doing but why you're doing I know why you're doing this I know the attitude you have the spirit you have and see you don't know that about me God does thankfully this knife here Makaira is not a sword it's not a battle knife Peter had that knife in Gethsemane probably had his fisherman's knife in Gethsemane sharp on both sides able to dissect the fish and he cuts a guy's ear off with it wow what a thought God uses that knife all the time and looks right into the deepest part of me and you and that gets scary There is no creature hidden from his sight. There's no part of creation hidden from his sight. But all things are naked and open to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. All things are open to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. Your creator sees you as no one else ever can. And sometimes you've deceived yourself in such a way that you can't even see yourself. But God can. The word of God cuts down to the finest part and separates all the parts of us for God to see. Now here's something else that we miss. Verse 14, seeing that we have a high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the son of God, 
let us hold fast our confession, for we do not have a high priest that cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but, not, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. High priest who passed through the heavens. Look at Daniel, 5th century B.C. I was watching in the night visions, and behold, one like the Son of Man, coming with the clouds of heaven, came to the Ancient of Days, and brought him near before him. Now, stop right here. We talk about Jesus Christ coming. What do we mean? We talk about him coming down, coming to us. Daniel said, no, no. He is coming to the Ancient of Days. Daniel, where are you to see things like that? I'm with the Ancient of Days. Where are you looking? Looking down to the earth. And I see him coming. He's coming up here to the Ancient of Days. Hmm. Then to him, and they brought him near before him. Then to him was given a dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages shall serve him. What does that remind you of? Reminds me of Peter on Pentecost, who says this promise is to you, to your children, to all that are far off, the Gentile nations. The door was open to everybody to come into God's kingdom. His dominion, everlasting dominion, which shall not pass away, and his kingdom the one which shall not be destroyed. Daniel talks about that. The four kingdoms, Babylonian, the uh, Medo-Persians, before that the Assyrians, then the Greeks, the Romans. And then, in the Roman age, the kingdom that will never be destroyed. Wow. Look at Acts and look at this from a different standpoint. While they looked toward heaven... Uh, steadfast toward heaven as he went up behold two men stood by in white apparel who said also men of Galilee why do you stand gazing up into the heaven this same Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will so come in the manners you have seen him go into heaven so here's here are the apostles looking up and here's Daniel looking down they're seeing the same thing they're seeing the same thing from a different perspective well, Daniel did five centuries before. He lived five centuries before then. He couldn't see that. He could too. Because God is timeless. And God took him there. Brought him into the heavens. To the most holy place. And said, now look, Daniel. Tell us what you see. Wow. But this, this applies to us. And don't ever forget it. Let us therefore boldly, come boldly to the throne of grace. Where's that? in heaven that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need <clears throat> I believe when we go to God in prayer that we go before the throne of grace I think of my feet being planted on earth and my spirit being before the throne of grace inside the most holy place a place where an ordinary priest couldn't normally go. Wow, this is frightening. For that reason, brothers and sisters in Christ, I do not say my prayers. I will not say my prayers. But I pray 
Now I lay me down to sleep, pray the Lord my soul to keep. If I should die before I wake, pray the Lord my soul today. Amen. Now, if you taught your child that, fine. I taught my children that. I taught them to say their prayers, but I taught them also to pray. I pray. You pray. Just stop saying your prayers and start talking to God. One more point here. I know we're getting ahead in Hebrews 10, but we'll do it anyway. Therefore, brethren, verse 19, having the boldness to enter the holiest, the most holy place by the blood of Christ. That's our salvation. We go there by the blood of Christ. Do that in the Old Testament, you get killed. The blood of animals couldn't bring you into the most holy place. The blood of Christ can bring you into the most holy place by a new and living way, which he consecrated for us through the veil that is his flesh. You know, there's not a veil of the temple anymore in heaven. That was destroyed by Jesus Christ at his death. But that was the veil of his flesh. And having a high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience. Do you realize that animal blood would remove the filth of the flesh, but not the, the filth of the conscience? We'll talk about that more later in this course. But he's saying here that our hearts have been sprinkled from an evil conscience. Our bodies washed with pure water. We're going to talk about 1 Peter 3.21 later on. The like figure wherein to even baptism doth also now save us. Not the putting away of the filth of the flesh. Animal blood did that. This is not an Old Testament sacrifice, but an appeal to God for a clear conscience. By the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. Why? If we can't be lost, forget it. I don't have to give my energy there. No, but we can be lost. We need to hold fast. For those who he for he who promised is faithful, let us consider one another in order to stir up to love and good works. Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as a matter of some is, but exhorting one another so much the more as you see the day approaching. And brothers and sisters in Christ, we should attend every service of the Lord's church. But this command right here is a command not to abandon the Lord. Don't abandon the assembling of yourselves together like some are doing. They're going back into Judaism. Don't do that. You're going back into a corruption. Oh, but I have Christ. No, you have Christ plus Moses. That's a corruption. But I can be saved through Christ. No, you can't be. You can't be. It won't work. Jesus only is the means of our salvation. Jesus plus is not the means. Don't you do it. Stay away from it. Well, if you think I've been in high gear, I have. Because, see, I'm at odds with the people there in the sound booth. They ring the bell. I knew they would. So they caught me. But I did finish chapter 4. And as I said last week, if you have questions, Brother Glenn is here. Ask him those questions, and we get it all done. Thank you. God bless. Let us bow for prayer.
Father, for the blessings in Christ, we give our thanks. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the book of Hebrews. Thank you for the interest this class has in learning it. And bless me as I teach them. I pray that you'll forgive us of our sins. Help us to walk in the light. And as we leave here, protect us from the evil one. We pray through Christ. Amen. Don't run in the hall. We hope you have enjoyed this lesson from God's Word. If you would like to continue your study of New Testament Christianity, please send your name and address to World Bible School, West Huntsville Church of Christ, 1519 Old Monrovia Road, Northwest, Huntsville, Alabama, 35806. Or if you prefer, send your name and address by email to wbs at westhuntsville.org.